We're in um, lesson number 47, the book of Romans, grace and peace to you. And Paul has been developing his lessons uh, really leading up to this point. I wonder, you know, as I try to imagine Paul thinking through, you know, every, every writer kind of has somewhat of an outline. You know, when you're going to write something, you got some idea where you're going. I, I wonder, you know, with the presence of the Spirit working through him, did he? I just, you know, did he know where he was headed? Did he know what the letter was going to end with? Did he, and I kind of have to think, no, he probably didn't. And um, as he's writing, Revelation is coming to him. And because um, it talks about the fact that uh, the word that's used is they, they wrote as the Spirit, with the breathed upon them. It's like they were, they were like leaves blowing across water. Maybe, you know, maybe he had some general idea. We know from 1 Peter chapter 1 that Old Testament prophets wrote they knew some of the things they were writing about but they didn't know who they were for or when they would take place and they knew but they weren't for them. You know, that, and wow, that's that's pretty impressive, you know, to know that, you know, like Isaiah writing down these verses, but you're not going to get to enjoy it, you know, because this is not for your time. Wow. You know, and so uh, so we have that from the Old Testament, and it, it, it does kind of make you wonder how much of that was with Paul. However, we do know, again, as we've said, from chapter 16 and, and some other parts, he did know the people he was writing to. He knew the situation in the church in Rome, that it was filled with new believers, filled with people who had come from pagan societies, cultures, had no religious upbringing, some that were fully given over to idols and their paganistic worship, some that were Gentile who had come to Judaism and had differing levels of understanding of Judaism. And then, of course, there were the Jews, some very strong believers still holding on to the legalistic side of Judaism, still trusting in Jesus as the Messiah, others ready to be done with the law and all the bondage and rejoicing over the fact that the Messiah has set them free. So Paul's writing to a great uh, a, a great diverse group and he's got a lot of things that he's been covering but as we've been talking about as we came finally to chapter 7 as he brought forth this struggle talking about in the earlier chapters that we're not saved by the law and over and over he talked about that and you wonder why he said it so much because he's trying to get this through to people who are still trusting in the law. They still think, even though the Messiah has come, they still think they have to be saved by keeping the law. Until Paul finally, in chapter 7, reveals that full frustration that the law cannot bring you freedom. It only brings you condemnation and awaiting death. Not that you lose your salvation. You've got it. But you just don't enjoy it because you're trying to deal with your life through the law, which can never help you 
deal with the power of sin and walking uh, in a life of righteousness. It's what Paul wanted. And, and then, as we said, somewhere in Paul's experience, he came to the revelation that we find here in chapter 8. That is that God has given us a helper. And this helper is the Holy Spirit. And um, in my notes further on, I'll talk about the fact that up until this point, this is only the third reference to the Holy Spirit when we get to chapter 2. So this is the only third reference to the Holy Spirit. But in this chapter, there's 18 references to the Holy Spirit. So that's really the subject of what's going on here. How can I be set free? The law doesn't work. Oh, but God's given me something that does. And that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And unlike the law, the Spirit's inside of me. So, uh, let's uh, look into this. Uh, We'll start Romans chapter 8. Again, I'm just going to read the first four verses, but we're really only going to talk about verse 2. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So this is, uh, this is the truth that Paul is wanting to uh, reveal, and he does it step by step through this chapter. So he's brought us from condemnation to no condemnation. What, what was the key? What brought us out of condemnation to no condemnation? The realization of the work of the Holy Spirit. That the believers that are in Christ have been set free. That we have found freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the law? Yeah, but we already were. You're you're free from the law as soon as you get saved. You just don't know how to live it. Freedom from death? Yes, of course. Again, since you've been saved, you've been set free from death. But what is it that we're set free from? The condemnation. The condemnation that comes to us because we can't live by the law. We can't do it. And all that does is brings misery. It brings an attitude of hopelessness. It brings frustration, as Paul revealed in chapter 7. But the Spirit who has come to us, when we begin to realize His work in our life, He sets us free from that condemnation that we are under. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus for the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus. All right? So the Spirit of life has set me free. And all of that depends on one little phrase, in Christ Jesus. Because if you're not in Christ Jesus... There is no freedom. There's only judgment. Mm -hmm. Condemnation. 
that you abide under until the judgment finally comes. Now, in physics, and I use this analogy, uh, in physics there are laws that apply universally. So if, if you've studied physics in college or uh, any classes in physics, even in high school, learned that there are certain laws of physics that cannot be, um, they can't just be ignored, but they can be overcome by another law. And so just like there is a law of gravity, you jump out of a plane, and you're going to fall. That's just the way it is. And that's going to happen. In, uh, I like to watch, you know, Discovery Channel and all those kind of things. And so I was watching uh, a, a thing on aircraft, and they brought out that huge Russian Aleutian, whatever it is. Yeah, the thing is just, I mean, and you look at it and you say, It'll never get off the ground. How does something that heavy, loaded with stuff heavier than the plane, and they can load all this stuff on there, and the thing goes down the runway, and pretty soon, it's up in the air. And it's just, how does that fly? That shouldn't fly. It, it shouldn't. But the law of gravity has been overcome by two other laws, thrust and lift, which we could also refer to as the law of aerodynamics. And so this has lifted this plane. So the, the law, you can't cancel the gravity, but you can't overcome it. And so Paul here is talking about one law that overrides another. And the law of the spirit of life that is ours in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. And so this principle that Paul wants to talk about is ours. Now, you can go back and forth on this. Uh, various translations of verse 2 move the phrases around uh, in different ways. The King James writes it one way, this writes it another but doesn't change the emphasis of the verse. It is the law of the spirit of life. It is a law that comes from the spirit. A few translations refer to it as the spiritual law of life, but I think that loses some of the power when you just translate it that way. Um, because then you have to use the same thing, the spiritual law of sin and death. But I think if we look at it simply as Paul states it with his phrasing, it is the law of the spirit of life. It all goes together. It comes from the spirit, but it includes life. It is a law that produces life as opposed to what? Death. And so we see that the contrasting law is the law of sin and death. So thinking of that as like gravity, holding us down, keeping us in bondage to the earth and to where we are, somewhere along the line, men found that there was a principle of thrust and lift. 
and that if you have those two things, you can overcome gravity. Of course, if you're in Star Trek, you just beam yourself up, but that uh, hasn't worked for me yet. I've tried. It's not worked. But um, so God has done for us, and then he goes on in the next verse, which we'll get to when I come back. In the next verse, he said, God has done what the law could not. You know, to, to make that statement, for Paul to write that so boldly, that God has done for us what the law could not do. And notice, he didn't say, we have done for ourselves what the law could not do. Who wrote the law? Well, Moses wrote it, but whose law was it? God's law. It was God's law. He wrote it. He established it. And then he overcame it with another law. That is the law of the spirit of life. And this power that God has given sets us free. If, if we are in Christ Jesus. Because if you're not in Christ Jesus, this law doesn't work for you. So you have to be in Christ Jesus. And we're not going to go into what all that entails right now, but it is through faith in Jesus Christ, which he's been talking about since the beginning. And so this principle helps us to overcome. So in the spiritual realm, the law of sin placed all of humanity under the judgment of death and under the condemnation of the Mosaic law. Because we were in sin, we were under judgment of death, and the law just pointed it out and pointed it out and pointed it out. So I'll just ignore the law. I'll just forget the law. I'll just pretend it doesn't exist. If I'll go on through my life and I'll just live, forget the law. Does that change anything? No. Just because you... No, doesn't change one thing. Because you cannot overcome the Mosaic law through ignorance. <laughs> through ignoring it. And rebellion certainly does not work. So there was nothing to get out from under this condemnation. The law just frustrated. And as Paul then, having been saved or coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior, he still tried to use the law in order to establish his Christian life, in order to live for God. And it wasn't producing because the law cannot produce law. The law cannot produce freedom. But God has given another law. And it just, it, it is so refreshing to know that it is God who gave this law. Man didn't invent it. We didn't come up with it. We didn't say, God, we can't live by that. So we've, given, we've written something different that we can live by. So we're going to rewrite your rules and regulations to things that we can live with. Of course, what I can live with might not necessarily agree with what you can live with. But I really don't care about you because I care about me. And so I'll rearrange God's law so that I can live free of condemnation in my mind. Yeah, 
you're still going to be frustrated and you're not going to be able to live that way. It just will not produce. But God has given this new law. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has placed his spirit within us. So you can't ignore, though Paul doesn't enlarge upon that at this point, you cannot ignore the fact that when you got born again, God caused his spirit to dwell in you. You were recreated in the image and likeness of God by the presence of the Holy Spirit, by his work in your life. You were brought into union with God through the Holy Spirit. You were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. He is the one that Jesus said, I'm going to give you another helper, and he's going to live in you. And he'll lead you into my ways, and he'll teach you all my ways, and he's going to reveal to you all the things that I would have you to do. Who's that? That's his helper that's on the inside. The problem is I'm trying to live my life by something outside of me. I'm trying to live by these rules and regulations instead of by the spirit that's on the inside. Oh, so he's going to cause you to live so that you don't have to follow those? No, he's going to give me the ability to live in a way that is pleasing to God. To fulfill his ultimate purpose for my life. I'm going to live in the righteousness that the law could never produce. I'm going to live in a life of holiness that the law cannot help me with, only condemn me. I'm going to live separate from sin. I'm going to live separate from the power of this world through a presence of the Spirit that the law could never do for me if I learn to draw upon the Spirit. But Paul hasn't gotten there yet. He's just telling you what this key is, and that is the Spirit. This new life is produced by, it's taught by, and it's forced by the Holy Spirit. Everything we need. You say, well, we need the Word. Yeah, I know. And this Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to help us, to teach us. But the believers in Paul's day didn't have the book of Romans to read until Paul wrote it. He didn't have the book of Ephesians to read. Not for another about five years. So how could they, how could they live to please God? Because the Spirit of God lived on the inside of them. How could they live a life that was, was established in righteousness and following the ways of God? Because the Spirit of God lived on the inside of them. They were doing the things that Paul was going to write in the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians when they didn't even know what the Scripture said. That's powerful. And if they could, if they could, you can. Say, well, I don't know. I don't know all the stuff that's in Ephesians. Do you know Jesus? And do you know the Holy Spirit? Then he'll help you. He'll help you live things, and one day you'll read in the book of Ephesians, and you'll find, wow, I've been doing that all along. I didn't even know it. Why? Because the Spirit of God is on the inside leading you into those things. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. But you got to know that. And you got to stop trying to live by an outward law. So as I was going down through this, I could not help, as I got to these passages, could not help but think of almost the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
and almost all that is there. And so that's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. This, this outward law could not produce holiness or righteousness or peace, but this inward law of the Spirit can. And so God was going to lead these believers. So as Paul comes to this declaration, they sound f- vaguely familiar to something that Paul's already written. Now, I could go to the book of Galatians and point out verses that are parallel but I chose to go to 2 Corinthians instead. And here's why. Because Paul is writing this letter to the Romans from the city of Corinth. And he's already written to them, 1 Corinthians, and then 2nd and 3rd and 4th Corinthians all combined into one called 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians is actually three different books. Three different letters that Paul has written at different periods of time. But he's already written those to the Corinthians. So they already know these things. And they can have this knowledge. Paul is saying here things that he's already referred to and written about in both the book of Galatians and in the book of 2 Corinthians. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It starts down at the bottom of your first page there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you've got a Bible or device and you want to follow along. Now, I've got the New Living Translation because of the freedom of the way that the words express. Um, it's, an, it's an excellent translation of this passage. You can use, um, I really liked the, uh, the voice. I liked the passion translation of this. Um, I did not care so much for the message translation of this one. It just it was too free and did not say some of the key things. I look for key things. Uh, of course, the New International Version or the, the ESV, which I normally use. The New King James, um, the Holman Christian Study Bible. They're all excellent translations, and they all will bring you to the same place. But I've highlighted certain things in here so that we can see how Paul is making this application. And it is, it, it's almost like when he wrote Second or Romans chapter 8, he had to be realizing he was writing things parallel to what he'd said in Second Corinthians chapter 3. So we're going to spend quite a bit of our lesson tonight, not in Romans, but in Second Corinthians. So, everybody there? You got it on your page. Verse 6. I could start at the beginning, but I'm going to start in verse 6. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant that's what is this new covenant salvation through jesus christ could we just say it that way Uh, you can state it any way you want to but this new covenant the new covenant that god has given is that through belief in jesus christ his death burial and resurrection we have life and we are in a new covenant with god so this is the new covenant you could in some ways replace that with the word the gospel but the gospel includes a lot more than that. But we are ministers of his new covenant. In fact, the, uh, the, the emphasis of this word is he has enabled us. Did you know that any time you step in to presenting the gospel or talking to somebody about the new covenant, you are enabled? 
That Greek word enabled comes from the Greek word dunamis. And so I made my own little word out of it and called it being indunamized. <laughs> and so dunamis is supernatural power, power that comes from God. And enabled means he's put that power on the inside of you. So, you know, sometimes you wonder if you're going to start talking to somebody and share the gospel with them. Just believe this. You're being enabled. God has enabled you to be a minister of this new covenant. There is a divine supernatural power that begins working in you. You are, say it with me, indunamized. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. That's, that's Jeff word. Indunamized. Okay. So, I don't know. Somebody else may use it, but okay for me. But anyway, um, so we're enabled to be ministers of his new covenant. And this is a covenant not of the written law. What's the written law? Mosaic covenant, right? The Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments, but of course, 613 commandments that go along with it, plus all the ordinances and, and, and uh, rules and so forth that the Jewish people had developed from it. And so we are ministers of this new covenant, not of the written law. This new covenant is not of the law, but it is of what? The Spirit. This new covenant is produced by, taught by, revealed by, enforced by the Holy Spirit. This new covenant. The old written covenant ends in death. Because that's all it can produce. Now, God didn't write the law to produce death. Because we've already read that concerning the law, it was what? It's good. It's righteous. It's holy. It's spiritual. That's what Paul has said about the law. But the problem is, I can't live by it. So, where does it end up? It only leads me to death. Now, if I'm a believer, I could say, well, but I'm not going to die because I have Jesus Christ and so I'm alive forever in him. Yeah, that's true. But you're going to feel like you are. And you're going to be under the condemnation and the misery of it. Go back and read chapter 7. Paul is alive in Jesus Christ, but he's absolutely miserable. Oh, wretched man that I am. And Paul's a believer. But he feels wretched, death doomed. Why? Because he's just looking at the law. And when all we use to help people live this Life of righteousness, if all we use is the law, they're going to feel death doomed. Because they're not going to see that there's any freedom here. That old covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. <coughs> so here we have the Spirit and life together. Later on in the chapter, we're going to find out that the Spirit and life and freedom all go together. Just like Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Life, freedom, spirit. All right, top of the next page. The old way, with laws etched in stone. So we know what we're talking about, which is what? The Ten Commandments and then all the commandments and all the rules and regulations that came from that. The old ways, with the law, etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory, 
that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. So when Moses received the commandments and he came down from the mountain, what happened? His face was glowing. Now, we don't necessarily need them today because our, our watches work differently. Uh, maybe you, you still have an old-fashioned type watch that has fluorescent numerals. So you put that under light, and then you turn out the lights in the room, and the watch glows. Not because the light's coming from the inside, but that it is just giving off what it absorbed while it was in the light. But the longer it's in the dark, it gets what? Dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until it finally goes out. And that's exactly what happened there. Paul, or Paul is referring to Moses' face. When he came down from the mountain, this glory shone on him. Why? Because he'd been in the presence of God. But the glory, listen, wasn't on the inside of him. It was just being reflected from him. So what did he do? What did, what did Moses do when he came down from the mountain? What did he do? He covered his face. When he went into the tabernacle to talk to God and he came back out, he did what? He covered his face. Why? Most people say, well, it was because the brightness would blind people. No, the reason why he closed it, covered his face was so you couldn't see that the longer he was out from the presence of God, the dimmer the light got. Right. Till pretty soon he's speaking from behind the veil, but there's no light there. But you don't know it because he's behind a veil. So that's what he's going to say here. Listen to what he says. Though it began with such glory that the people could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. The longer he's out of the presence of God, the dimmer it gets until it's not there. So in order for the people to think I'm still speaking for God, I'm going to put this veil over me so they can't see that I don't have any glory on me. Right? And so their, cover, their face is veiled. Now listen to what he says in verse 8. If that was the glory of the law which led to death, listen to this, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the whole Holy Spirit is giving life? If, why? Because where is the Holy Spirit? Out there? No, where is he? He's in here. And he's giving me life. And shouldn't this glory now be emanating from within me instead of just on the outside reflecting off? difference between the moon and the sun. Sun produces light. The moon just reflects it. So, verse 9. The old way, which brings condemnation and death, right, was glorious. It was. The law was glorious. People couldn't look at it. In fact, when they put it in the ark, they had to put a lid on the ark called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, they poured out the blood. So the people couldn't look at the glory that was shining from the law because it would kill you. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. yeah. So, so this glory would come out of the ark because you can't look at the law without a veiled face, which he's going to talk about down here. So there has to be a veil. Why? Because you can't, you can't see the glory that's in the law. But if it's veiled, then it's not really giving anything to you. 
So, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God or produces righteousness? This, this new way doesn't just give us life. It produces righteousness. You've been made righteous in Christ Jesus. That's inside of you. Life is inside of you. And this glory should be more than the glory of the law. But we look at the glory of the law. Oh, man. If I could just see the tables of the law that Moses held in his own hands. If I could just see those and read them. Oh, what a wonderful thing. If I could buy those, I would put them in a, in a secret place and only go in and look at it. You'd just be looking at a dead stone, that's all it is. It's just a stone with some chiseling marks on it, you know. And it's, and it's by the way, even if you had it, it would be the second copy. Because the first one, what? Yeah, he broke the first one. You know, so, so much for that. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I try to put things in my own. How do you think that uh, um, God, uh, you know that table you gave me? You know, with it, you know, with all the writing on there. Of course, in the movies, they wrote, it was written by like lightning, you know, laser engraved in the stone. Um, there's a problem. It wasn't my problem. It wasn't me. It was Aaron and his people. And, you know, they, they made me throw it down. I, I just wanted to show them that they'd broken the law. That's, that was what I was doing. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't know how you explain that to God. God says, Moses... Give it up. I already know everything. So, just like your parents. Okay, so. If this, that this new way makes us righteous or produces righteousness with God. Righteousness with God. Not righteousness to the law. I'm not righteous to the law. I'm righteous with God. Amen. I've been brought into an equal standing, not with the law, but with God himself. Brought onto an equal plane with God. I'm not God, but he has lifted me up and removed me from the, the horror of sin that I lived in and recreated in me his image, which we'll get to here in just a little bit if I stop preaching. First tip. In fact, that first glory, which came from the law, right? Are you following me? Verse 10, that first glory came from the law was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Why do we elevate the law and say so little about the Spirit? You could, you could visit churches all over the world. And the least person that they talk about in the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. As one man said, he's like, he's like our, our strange uncle that we hope doesn't show up at the family gathering because he's going to do something really weird. Right? So the Holy Spirit is, is like the, the silent partner. I forget uh, Chan. What's his name? Uh, Chan something. First name Chan. Who? 
Jackie. No, not Jackie Chan, no. Wrong, wrong Chan. This is a preacher, not Charlie. Anyway, a preacher. He's got a book written about the Holy Spirit, and he calls it the secret. Somebody here is going to find that for me before I leave tonight. Okay. I get it. I got it on my library shelf back there, but... Okay, so, because the Holy Spirit is the person we don't talk about. I, I would imagine that there are churches that have almost never heard a message about the Holy Spirit. Oh, they say it when they say the apostles of the Nicene Creed. You know, they say the Holy Spirit, you know, and once in a while they may mention it. If it's in the verse, they have to read it. But, and then they read it as the Holy Ghost, and he's not a ghost. The word spirit and ghost are two different Greek words. It's never... The ghost word never refers to God at all. All right? He's not a ghost. Francis Chan. Francis Chan. Thank you. Got two of you exactly the same time. You guys are great. Anyway, Francis Chan, great preacher. And, um, but the Holy Spirit's not a ghost. He's a living being. And he is God. Co-equal with the Father and the Son. And so they are, in essence, the same God. But this one lives in me. And he's been given to live in me, to produce in me all those things that I want that the law can't give me. So why am I glorifying the law and not glorifying the spirit now please don't read into these passages because you can if you're reading from the new king james or the old king james you can read in here the word and 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 the letter you know the letter kills the spirit gives life the letter is not the bible do not do not interpret this passage as saying it is the bible that kills no it is not the bible it is the bible that gives us life because it tells us about the Holy Spirit, it tells us about the message of salvation. It's the law that kills, not the Bible. People say, well, you know, you teach too much, too much Bible, too much word, not enough spirit. You can't have too much word. Nope. A number of years ago, Pastor Bob Yandian, someone, someone, he was teaching and he made some statement about, you know, you've got to... Uh, whatever these prophets are saying has to be brought back and judged by the word of God and has to be held into, you know, the authority and submitted to the word of God. He was making a statement and one opposing prophet, I'll keep his name silent, um, but he said, well, Bob Yandian, and he used him by name, he said, Bob Yandian is word bound. He thought he was, he thought that was an insult. But praise God. My pastor's word bound. I am too. I want to be bound to the word of God. Because when I am, the spirit of God will use it to live through me. All right. So I got to read on. I'm preaching too much. Verse 11. So, so if the old way, which has been replaced, those are not, I didn't make up those words. They're in there. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? The old is gone. But this new way will never end. It is eternal. It is forever. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, 
we can be very bold. Bold is not arrogant. It's free to speak, free to say. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory that was fading away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. If you hold on to the law, you will never find salvation. Now, it's leading you, the law leads you to Christ, but you've got to receive him. The law leads you to the Messiah, the substitute, who's dying for you so you can fulfill all the things that the law was requiring. But the law can't save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save you. They cannot understand the truth, and the veil can be removed only, only by what? Believing in Christ. The only way for this veil to disappear is believing in Christ. You know who that happened to? Peter, James, John, Paul, all these Jews who were Jewish and held to the law have now been saved and set free, and me. Even Gentiles. The veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. They just go back to it over and over. Orthodox Jews are so bound. It is not about the Messiah. Search through the Gospels and find one of the interactions with a Pharisee where they saw him as the Messiah. All they want to talk about is the law. The law, the law, the law. That's all they've got. They totally lost sight of the Messiah. They cannot understand. Verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord, the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, where is He? Where is He? He's in you. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Swall of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Why? Because it's coming from within. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. This is the work of the Spirit on the inside of us, producing in us all the things that the law never could. It just is not capable. So, this is the theme, not only here of Corinthians, but of Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit. Like I said before, the Spirit is mentioned 18 times in this one chapter and only two times outside of it. That's pretty amazing. So, these references to the Spirit, though, give us a little bit of, like, preview. It's like previews of coming attractions. Paul makes mention, and then he's led by 
God and the Spirit of God to write something else, but he does make a few mentions. The, the most significant is in Romans chapter 5, where the work of the Spirit is introduced. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, but he doesn't develop it any further. It's like he makes mention and then he moves on and says, wait, 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 Paul, 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 go back. Tell, tell me more about this spirit who has flooded us with the love of God. Now I got other things to write about. Sorry, we'll get to that later. So we suffered through chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. Do we get here? Romans chapter 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. The word poured into means flooded so that it overflows. Flooded in such a way. God's love. Now listen, I know that we use this verse in reference to loving other people, that God has put his love in our heart so we can love other people because the love of God is in us. That's really not what this verse is about. You're using it, but that's not what it's about. What this verse is about is God's love for me. God's love for you has so overwhelmed you, so flooded your heart, that the presence of the Holy Spirit has brought this love of God to the inside of you where you know how much God loves you. You know that he loves you eternally and you are filled with this overwhelming response to the love of God. Hope does not make me ashamed. So all these trials and all these pressures he mentioned in the earlier part of chapter 5, none of those things can distract me. They can drive me away because I've got a hope on the inside of me that cannot be taken away. God loves me so much. He loves me so Can you say that? Can you say that about yourself? Can you acknowledge that God loves you so greatly that you can't even express it with words? Paul throws this verse out there and then he rushes off into some other things. It's like, Paul, stop! But he doesn't stop there. We have to wait till we get to chapter 8 to get more of what this is about. But God loves you so much, he makes you his own son. You were a criminal, a sinner, alien to the promises of God. Hellbound. God stopped and made you a son and filled you with his love. Amen. You know, I know that we go through different trials and pressures in our life, but I tell you what, the one thing that will help you get past this is to begin reflecting on how much God loves you, not because you're doing the law. Because you weren't doing the law when God flooded you by the presence of His Spirit with His love. He put His Spirit in there, flooded you with His love. You weren't doing anything for God. I love making reference to a couple of places in, in the life of Jesus. And one of the times that God showed up at Jesus' baptism, He hadn't done any miracles yet. Hadn't preached any message yet. The Spirit of the Lord came down and the voice came from him and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm hoping to be well pleased if he does everything that I've asked him to do. 
He hadn't done anything in whom I am well pleased. We think, well, if we do everything right, we get to heaven, God will say, I'm well pleased with you. My brother and sister, please know this. God is already well pleased with you. He made you his son. Put his son on a cross. Bleeding, dying for you. To say, I love you. Do you get it? Yeah, that's that's what the Spirit did. But Paul didn't stop and preach about the Spirit there. Then in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, he talks about the new life of the Spirit as a contrast with the old written code. Paul talks about that there is a new life that the Spirit gives that establishes what the law could not do. Now that I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I can do things that the law could never produce in me. I couldn't live to please God, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can. If I listen to Him and follow Him, if I will walk in the Spirit, I'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I need to give myself over. This spirit wants to lead me, wants to help me, wants to teach me, wants to fill me. It can do for me what the law could never do. Because all the law said was, failed, failed, failed. Write it off. I have to grade papers here coming up in my uh, Zoom class that I teach at the University of Texas. And... uh, Zoom class, not Doom class. <laughs> Zoom class. But I got to grade these papers, and I don't like it when there's a lot of red marks on their paper when I get done. Uh-oh. One of the things that, you know, and I, I know there's different ways of looking at it, but to me that means I didn't teach it well enough. They didn't get it. And so it is, God wants us to know, hey, listen. If you listen to what I'm saying, I know I wrote the law, but you can't live by that law. Let me give you something else, and you can live by this. I'll give you the answers to the test. Top of page 3, Romans 8, Paul shows us what he's involved. And it's these two principles, these opposing principles. The principle that has set me free from the law of sin and death. This law, God has given me another law. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. It's mine because I'm in Christ Jesus. And so this law, this principle has set me free. The Greek word set free is an aorist tense, which means it's a once and for all thing. It's done, it's over, it's complete. God has once and for all set you free. You're not in bondage again. You won't be in bondage again. Why? Because he won't sell you. You can't be owned by someone else if the master will not sell you and he will not sell you. For one of the words for God has brought us, redeemed us, means to redeem so as to never become a slave again. 
You can't put me in bondage to the law. You can put me under the condemnation by making me think I'm not doing all the things and pointing it out and trying to live by the law, and I will end up in condemnation. But you can't put me in judgment, and you can't remove me from his hand. He's loving me even though I'm miserable, as Paul was. But this principle has set me free from this principle of sin and death. Look at all those verse references there uh, where sin and death are equated. Romans 5.15, 5 5.17, 5.21, Romans 6, 16, 21 and 23, Romans 7, 10 through 11 and 13, Romans 8, 6, 10 and 13. All of those equate sin and death. We have been put in bondage to sin and death under the law, but I'm not. I've been set free once and for all. It's over. You can't put me back under bondage. You can make me think I am, and if I concentrate on the law, that's what I'll feel like. But I need to draw from where? The spirit of life. It's on the inside of me. It sets me free. So this law of the spirit of life has set me free because I am in Christ Jesus. And again, we can't say enough about that. And people don't teach that enough. And believers around the world don't understand what it means to be in Christ Jesus. They're trying to live their Christian life on their own. But you're not on your own. You're in Christ Jesus. And he's put his Holy Spirit in you. You are his. And he belongs to you. And you belong to him. And... All those wondrous things he says in John chapter 17 that, you know, just kind of talk in circles. I and them, they and me, you and us, us together, you know, all that, all that, you know, try to make sense out of it. It doesn't really make sense. It's just, man, it's good. It's just good. And nothing can destroy that bondage or that bond, not bondage, that bond that has been developed between God and you through your faith in Jesus Christ. All you did is believed. You didn't live by the law. You didn't perfect yourself. You didn't do all the things right. All you did was believed. And you've been made right. And so the old law brings the power of sin, which ultimately leads to death. And if that's what you're concentrating on, the rules and regulations, that's all you'll think about. All you'll think about is your failures. But God doesn't want you to think that way. And so this new law sets us free from the power of the old. And this law of the Spirit produces in me life. But if I don't pay attention to it, I don't know what life I have. It's like a treasure chest has been given to you. If you don't ever open it up, you'll never know what's inside. You'll never know all the good. You want to try to live by these things, but you can't. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Now, if you're trying to live holiness from the outside, you're going to fail. Because you can't do it. But listen, listen. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. I like the Phillips translation of this. That's the New Testament in modern English. 
The Phillips translation is down below. The calling of God is not to impurity, but the most thorough purity. Would you agree with that? God has called us to thorough holiness, absolute holiness. And anyone who makes light of this is not making light of man's ruling, but of God's command. Well, I can never live it. I can't do it. I just keep. That's because you're looking at the law. And you're trying to measure your holiness by looking at something on the outside instead of drawn from the inside. Listen how he writes this. I love this. You're not making light, you're making light of man's ruling, but God's command. It is not for nothing, I love that phrase, it is not for nothing that the Spirit of God that God gives us is called the Holy Spirit. So if he's the Holy Spirit, what's he going to produce? Holiness. And so you're trying to live it from the outside, and he's wanted to give it from the inside. A purity that you could never produce in your own self. A righteous living. You already have righteous on the inside, but are you living righteously with your neighbors, with the people around you, with, with the, the world in which we live? We need to produce righteousness in our life. The Spirit of God that gives us this victory. When the freedom of spirit is celebrated in chapter 8 is compared with the repressive power of sin in chapter 7. So chapter 7 was misery and struggle. Three lessons on the struggle. Now we've got freedom. No more struggle. I'm not struggling to live this life. I got the spirit on the inside and he's leading me. Now, experience teaches us that you can have both of these. I got freedom on the inside, but I'm struggling with temptations, lusts, passions, actions on the outside. Does that mean I don't have this? No. It means I need to draw more from this. Not try to do those things but to draw from the inside the purity and the holiness and the righteousness that God wants me to produce in my life we'll lose the battle if we try to engage the enemy only from the outside why because that law is dead it's written in stone it has no life in it but this spirit has life we can't do it without him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do anything you want. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, I know a lot of people that are apart from Jesus, and they do all kinds of stuff. Not this. Apart from me, you can produce nothing of glory, nothing of good, nothing of righteousness, nothing that is pleasing to God. You can't do it. The struggles of Romans 7 are ended with verse 2 of Romans 8. For the spirit of life that is mine in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And that's where we will go. And our next sessions will start in chapter 8, verse 3, and move on from there. It's a great chapter. you got two weeks to read it, study it, Be prepared, and uh, there'll be no test.